Welcome to Table Talk, a place to gather, guide, and go. Each month, join your hosts, Alyssa De Los Santos and Jill Dobrowanski, as they discuss scripture, life experiences, and everything in between. At our table, we provide a seat for those who have been told there is no room for them. We look forward to having you gather, guide, and go with us each month at Table Talk, where there's always room for one more at our table. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Table Talk. I'm your host, Jilda Browanski. And I'm Alyssa De Los Santos. And we're so happy and blessed that you joined us here today. So at Table Talk, we are a place to gather, guide, and go. And so let's kind of reflect back to last week. Last week, listen to me, last month. <laughs> okay, Lord, I'm hearing you. <laughs> uh, about our go, because we talked really about you know, being on the outskirts, being ostracized, especially, you know, with the experiences that you went through, Alyssa, with your divorce. And we also talked about the woman with the bleeding condition and how Jesus healed her after all those years and then just said, go out and make disciples. And that's really essentially um, what he did for you. You know, when you said uh, he called her daughter and that's what he calls us. And that was so important. And so we talked a little bit, our go from last time was how do we show up for those who feel ostracized, who feel on the, the periphery and who may be suffering that their voice has been taken from them. And yeah. so, you know, I kind of want to continue that thread a little bit this month um, as we move into talking about another thing that keeps us from the table. So <laughs> here we go. Here we go. Um, so it's a big one. It's a big one this month. Um, at least something that I have a lot of personal experience with. And that is a, a little five letter word called shame. And it's so interesting because immediately I think of what Jesus said about faith and how it only takes a mustard seed and how that seed of faith can grow in a rocky soil, in a fertile soil, in a little bit more of a desolate soil. And whenever I think of the shame that I carried for so, so long, that I allowed the seed of shame to be planted instead of the mustard seed of faith. Mm. And Tell so, me about that. Um, so let's, you ready? Let's dig right yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to, I'm, I'm ready. And All I right. relate. Just so you know, I'm here with you in this. <laughs> All right, let's pull up a chair because <laughs> we're going to get deep. <laughs> yeah. So a little bit about um, my story is that as I suffered some, what I would call trauma early on as a child, and it then led to um, a lot of trust issues. And so as I got older and got into my teen years, um, I fell into the world of 
partying. I fell into a world of promiscuity. And at the age of 19, I found myself pregnant. And so, you know, being raised in a Catholic church, like everything I was doing was against the doctrine of that church. Um, and when I found out I was pregnant, you know, I mean, I'll talk a little bit about this later, um, with the, the blessings and the people that God placed in my life mm -hmm. as I look back on it. But <clears throat> what I did at that moment was I was so afraid and afraid of what other people were going to think and say about me that I put on a backpack. And over the next 18 years, I just sat, I would walk along my journey and just add another rock of shame into that backpack. So that when, when God finally called me back home mm -hmm. and finally said, no, this is not your weight to bear, um, is when I was able to finally start not only taking, not only physically taking off the backpack, but then also unpacking each mm -hmm. one of those rocks that I had placed in it. And so what had happened was um, I, you know, like I said, I found out I was pregnant. My boyfriend and I were only together a few months. Um, and so it was a lot, a lot of what's next, what's going to happen. My parents and my family rallied around me um, mm. because we knew that some of the alternates were off the table. They were, yeah. they, were not, they were not options for us. And so my family rallied around me and said, okay, whatever happens, we're going to be here and we will raise this child with you. We will help you in any way we can. Again, looking back at the time I didn't see it, now, when I look back, oh, yeah, that blessing. Mm -hmm. um, but then also, you know, I had to, you know, like there was an equal partner in this. And so I had to talk to my then boyfriend at the time about it. And he took probably about a week of his own processing and lamenting and, and take, you know, figuring out what he wanted to do and what role he wanted to play. And again, God knows what he's doing. I mean, God knows. And it's like, you know, when I look back at it, it's so amazing. But at the time, you know, I didn't feel that. I felt that this was just another form of punishment, just something else that, you know, okay, now here's something else I have to deal with. But what I didn't realize at the time was that God was saving me from myself. And for me, that is the biggest that is the only thing, if anybody's going to hear anything, is mm. that whatever you're going through right now, it is God's blessing to save you from yourself and mm. from your flesh and from your yeah. sinful ways. And so, I mean, I was, again, God, you know, my, he then, my then boyfriend, you know, again, joined that circle around me and said, okay, we're going to do this together. And, wow. you know, 32 years later, here we are still together and married. <laughs> but what I mean, that's incredible. It is, it is. But what happened was for the next 18 years after I had my wonderful and beautiful son, who is truly a gift from God and 
such an amazing man and such an amazing husband. Um, I'm so proud of him and the man that he has become that I walked down a path where that I was walking away from God, but God was continuing to pursue me. But what I was doing was in the time that I was walking away was that I was then adding these extra weights in. And it was through like little lies or the shame would say, no, don't tell everybody how old you are. And I really became like a master deflector where Mm -hmm. that if somebody asked me a question about either how long I had been married or how old my son was or things like that, that's when the shame kicked in and was like, oh no, let's flip it back on you. And Mm. so I became very good at that. And it wasn't, and you know, quite honestly, I even did it, you know, my first couple of years into my walk with Jesus, into my, into my coming back home to the church. And Mm -hmm. through the first couple of years of my sanctification, I I still continued that and I still carried that burden. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until for me that I said, no, this is when it has to stop. And God said, okay, here's the platform I'm giving you that I want you to start sharing your story on because others need to hear it. And it's important and others are walking through it right Mm. now. But for me, it felt like it took me quite a number of years for me to learn how to surrender that shame. Right there. Yeah, right? You were there there. too, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I just, I think about how Jesus constantly, constantly calls us to restore ourselves through him. And it wasn't until I started learning how to do that, Mm -hmm. that I was able to begin to unpack that backpack but then also to be able to restore myself so then I can then go out and restore communities. Yeah. You know what? It's such a good word right there, Jill, because I think we get that flip-flopped. We want to restore others, but, but we don't want to have invested the time to restore ourselves. And often that's our, that's a deflection in and of itself, right? Because we're like, well, I can go help someone. I can go make their life better, but I'm not necessarily going to, going to do the work here until the soil of my own soul and, and let those surrender those things that have kept me kind of in bondage to shame. I mean, Listen, you're not the only person, obviously, you know that, who, who has dealt with shame or does deal with shame. Shame is a silent, it, it really is a silent companion, and yet it costs us so very much, right? Because people can look in your life and not see the shame that you carry. They don't see the invisible backpack that's weighted down with message after message. And sadly, often those messages are in your own, the sound of your own voice. Yes. Right. I, I, I would assume that in your story, which, which is really remarkable, Jill, like, I just want to pause and say, like, it takes courage and strength to say, here's part of my narrative. Here's the, the trajectory my life was going. Here's what, how God interrupted the narrative, because the, the whole narrative of scripture is about God restoring 
us to himself, his creation to the creator and then to our community, which yes. is the whole yes. point of table talk. It's, it's the whole reason we exist. And, and Jill, let's just talk about being a voice to the voiceless. When you share that part of your story, it's like a lane, like you, you're, you're creating a lane for someone else to say, that's familiar to me. Like there's hope there. Like maybe God won't end my narrative in the same way. And maybe I have a, a teenage pregnancy, but I don't end up with that person like you did. It's not about repeating your story. It's about your story illuminating the path for someone else to take. And it's powerful. So I just, I just want to Thank you for, for sharing that with, and bringing that to the table today is kind of a big deal. And, and, and I would, I would say to you, we can look at so many narratives in throughout scripture, but there's that this one in the gospel of, and it's actually a sandwich story. It's about the man with the withered hand. Yes. And a sandwich story. I love that. Yeah. Right. And, and, and this, this, this story in Luke six, it's really about the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders plotting to kill Jesus. I mean, that's what it's really about. And in the middle of it, this man who would have, um, a huge load of shame, the five letter word, Jesus opts to use him as an illustration. And I don't think any of us wake up and think, Hey, I hope I, I hope I can be in the center of this really great illustration. Most of us forget we we see the ordinariness of our lives, or we see the shame, and we lead with the shame that we miss these holy moments. And and in and, and I'm going to read the text really quickly. It's in Luke six, starting in verse six. It says, "On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled." The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Again, this is a whole separate story happening with that dynamic. In verse 8, but Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, see, Jesus doesn't even speak to the Pharisee in the room. I mean, he knows what they're thinking. So he speaks to the man with the shriveled hand and he says, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or destroy it. He looked around at them and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. That narrative of scripture, like I don't even, I'm not even going, it's very important, this dynamic, because it's, this is his pathway to the cross, Jesus's with the, the interaction with the religious leaders. However, I'm so struck by a couple of things that he says to this man, right? Um, but first of all, he has a shriveled hand. And, and I want you to just kind of think about that for a minute. Um, so I have a daughter and she from the time she could walk, probably before, she had this significant staring problem. And what I mean by that is she had no qualms just staring at people as they passed by, really like studying what were they wearing. And, and oh boy, howdy, as her mom, that was a little difficult for me because I had the social awareness to know like, let's not stare. But not only would she stare, she had no trouble like asking loud questions like mom, <laughs> Is that a boy or a girl? Mom, is that, I mean, just, you know, those things where you just feel very uncomfortable. 
But not only was it uncomfortable for me, I could see the strain that it had on them. So whoever it was that she was asking about, I could, I could see the way that their posture would change. So I have full confidence, Jill, that this man whose name we don't even know, here we are again. Here we are again. Significant. I have no doubt that he had endured the weight of stairs. And honestly, he undoubtedly felt trapped in this injury of isolation because historically, um, his injury, scholars believe, was probably from a masonry accident. And in the historical setting, he would have to cover his injury. So to be out in public, the injury would have to be draped in a cloth. And not only did he have to drape his hand in a cloth, but, you know, he lost his job. Therefore, in that community, if you did not, if you were not working and contributing, you lost your status as well. So this wasn't just an injury, a physical injury. This took away so many things from him. And he lived with this stigma because, again, his, in the historical context, there was a stigma that this was a punishment from God. Yes. So... Well, that and also, too, is the significance of it being the right hand. Correct. Of, uh, first of all, in our in right hands, right handed people are, are prominent and it is the dominant hand of which we perform most of our tasks. And even, you know, back I know even in biblical times that sometimes if somebody came along who was left handed, they were seen as demon possessed. Um, and then they were forced to learn how to use their right, become a right-handed dominant person. But then wow. also when you mm -hmm. think about, and you know where I'm going with this. For sure. Seated at the right hand of the father. And mm -hmm. wow, mm -hmm. that alone right. has, we could go down a rabbit hole with. <laughs> I mean, sincerely, and it's funny because, because I have a couple of things to say about that too, but, you know, I think when we go back into this context of scripture, the fact that he was kind of removed from community, the fact that he kind of didn't feel like a contributing member anymore, I think that's why he stood back and the entire bane of who he was shriveled with that accident. I mean, I just, I wonder, and we, we don't have the, the, the foreknowledge. We don't, we don't know, right. About who he was before this accident. We only know him in this moment, but we, we can certainly imagine without adding to scripture. But um, so he shows up within this context. And, and if you go back to the scripture, um, it says in verse six, that a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. And what's interesting about that, going back to what you were saying, you know, it's a, it's a tiny detail with huge implication for us to understand, because as you were pointing out with the right hand, it's also the hand that he would have used to extend blessing over his child. Wow. You bless your child with the right hand in these times. It's a, it's symbolic of authority and, and sovereignty, blessing and strength. So that's the hand that shriveled. And I think it's interesting that that's included and it's not included in all the gospels, but it is included in Luke's. And I think that's really an important thing. So, so this, this painful experience, know a thing or two about that. Yeah. yeah just a little, all of us who have dealt with painful experiences, shout out to us, but it's <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. That's the us. Um, but it stole more from him than we can really understand. But I know, I believe, and you were too, but I believe he was acutely aware of all that it had cost him. Yeah. Right. That's you saying, putting stuff in your bag. Certainly he would have had the same experience. And I think the weight of shame for him, the man whose name we don't know, I think it kept him hiding in the back. I think that's what shame does. It it keeps us in hiding. Right. And, and, and it pushes us to the perimeter and we stay on the periphery and we hope no one notices. You said, I, I tried to deflect how old I was or how long I had been married or how old my, my son was, right? Because shame says, stay over there. You don't fit. You don't belong. Uh, just hide. And what I love then <laughs> is that our past I don't love it, but it's our reality. Our, our past experiences, very often we make those the sum of who we are. Yes. And shame says that's the sum of who you are. That's all you will ever be. And, and, and so we forget our true identity and, and we think we are the sum of this past indiscretion or injury or experience. And, and we have these open wounds that keep us from engaging. I, I really believe that's true. We, we have these open wounds that keep us from community. And I, I think this narrative in scripture shows us that, but you know, my um, uh, pastor and friend, he, he says all the time, he says, guilt says you did something wrong. Shame says you are wrong. Yeah, Who you are is wrong. And, and isn't that true? That's why we stay on the periphery. You probably heard that message, Jill, that, hey, who you are is wrong because you kind of, you, you blew things, right? Or, or you didn't do things as you had hoped to do or, or whatever that message was. I'm sure it was, there were many of them. And, and, and shame tells us who we are is wrong. And as soon as we feel like who we are is wrong, we hide and we don't come to the table and we don't live in community. And I think that's why I love this story because Instead of allowing the past to steal our peace, we can actually find a new trajectory. Look at this in, in, in the experience going back to the scripture. In, in verse eight, it says, but Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. Huh. <laughs> When you're in your shame, the very last thing you want to do is stand in front of everyone, right? If shame makes us hide, the last thing we would want to do is stand up. But there was this opportunity that was birthed in boldness because number one, first of all, the man went into the synagogue. Let's, let's pause there for a minute. Yes. Right. He goes into the synagogue, which means he's either following Jewish tradition or he's heard enough about the healings of Christ that he wants to get near to think, hey, maybe maybe I have a shot here. Who knows? Either way, it required courage. And I think that's our first lesson is stepping away from shame is going to require courage. It's going to require us to step into the arena instead of staying on the periphery. But nonetheless, so this guy shows up. He shows up for whatever reason. And, and certainly the tension in the room was palpable mm. based on what we hear before and after. And he, these religious leaders are waiting to pounce. You know, you could feel that, right? And he could feel that. But he shows up 
anyway. And it turns out to be the most a monumental decision in his life, right? Because there, there's this relationship between obedience and restoration. So Jesus asks, I mean, just imagine this for just a minute. You're hiding in your shame. And, and, and Jesus says, hey, come right up here. Because as you know, teachers would have been teaching from the front. Actually, teachers now teach from the front. In, in the synagogue, it would have been more like the middle of the room and people would have been on the periphery around. Um, and so when he says, when Jesus says, get up and stand in front of everyone, he is on display. Yeah. He is on display with all of his shame. And don't you know, he, that first response, I mean, mine would have been, maybe I'm projecting like side glancing, like, is he talking to me? <laughs> I'm talking to you. <laughs> He's talking to you, right? Because that's vulnerable and it's so risky for us to obey. But look at what the next sentence says. It says, after Jesus says, get up and stand in front of everyone in verse eight, um, scripture says, so he got up and stood there. Okay. And we don't know, maybe it was like 30 seconds or three minutes. Don't you know, it must've felt like an eternity as he, as he heard the words and contemplated moving forward. But the last place Jill, he would have wanted to be was in the center of that room because you know, it was exposed in that moment, his injured hand. Well, that, and he also knew the legalistic portion of it were that you're not allowed to do works on the Sabbath. Absolutely. And so the thoughts that must have been going through his head would oh, yeah. have been like, oh, you know, like I know myself, it would have been like, okay, here we go. It's going to be another ridicule or it's going to be a way to try to embarrass me or to have outside shame put on me. Mm, that is the language of shame. Yes. The language of shame is this exposure is risky be careful, hide as much as you can. But you know what? I think that's what I love about this because Jesus welcomes what others ignore. Jesus welcomes what others want to turn away, right? Yep. That's what he shows us here. And, and I don't know, I think doubt would have, even if it was only a split second, would have just coursed through his mind and his veins. And probably thinking things like, this is the worst idea ever. Like I didn't expect this when I came today. Will anyone notice if I just, you know, dash out of here. And I wonder how many times we, we feel like that when we, when we are living in shame, when we won't come to the table, are those some of the reasons why we won't come to the table? Yeah, I think they are. I think mm -hmm. we're the, the fear of exposure that is, is someone going to hurt me further because really where is shame born? It's born in our wounds. Yeah. Just like his would have been born there. But here's what I say. Even if he had any of those thoughts, they didn't choke out a, his decision to obey. He did it anyway. And that's a good word for us, Jill, that we get lost in the outskirts of relationships and community and obedience. And even if we've stacked our logic so tall that the, stabi the stability of our logic of why we won't do it seems unflappable. Obedience to Christ is always the better response. Mm. And, and if his desire is to restore us to himself and to community, we have to show up. Like we have to surrender to that 
understanding. We just have to surrender to this is the process. This is how I'm going to do it. We need to do it anyway. Even if shame says stay on the side, we've got to show up. And, and that's hard. That requires faith, right? But when this man showed up, when he stepped into the arena, when he got into the middle of the room where Jesus called him the one place he wouldn't want to be, Jesus asks him in verse 10 to do the one thing he couldn't do. He said, stretch out your hand. Now, when I first read that, I'm like, why would you do that, Lord? That feels cruel. It feels unkind. It's the one thing he couldn't do. He, he literally, because his hand was shriveled and, and commentaries compare that to like a dried up, broken off limb. Mm. There. He, he could not, Jill, he could not stretch out his hand. And Jesus asks him to do the one thing that he couldn't do. And while that might seem cruel at first, here's what I think. I think because he wanted to show the man the one thing he could do. Mm. That he had, he had the power, he had the strength to heal him completely. When he says, stretch out your hand, he's saying, Hey, stretch out that shame. <laughs> he's saying, hand over to me, your guilt and your remorse and, and your pain and your wounds. He's saying, give that to me because ultimately, right. He, Jesus would then stretch out his hands Yes. in a demonstration, the ultimate demonstration of love to say, even for you, for that, for now and for the future, I will, I will receive the full weight of your shame so that you no longer have to bear it, so that you can set down the invisible backpack, so that you don't have to carry around the weight of things, that, the lies that you've told yourself and that you've assumed that are completely counter to your true identity. So... Alyssa, I didn't even think of it that way. That is so powerful. And right. like, I've got goosebumps. Um, yeah. I mean, here we are, we're, we're approaching what we call Good Friday. We're approaching yeah. the crucifixion. But we, you know, and for those of us who are still allowing mm. the enemy to use shame as a weapon, that is such a powerful message where Jesus right. calls us to say, no, give it to me, put it in my hands Yeah, because I'm going to stretch it out and I'm going to stretch out my own hands and save you from it. Right. And that's, right. so, you know, at that moment, you know, like you saying that it's when we do that, that we no longer allow that shame to define us. Yes. Because our true identity is then found mm. at the cross, at the foot of Jesus. Right. Really hidden in, hidden in the shadow of everything that Jesus is, we find our true selves. It's funny because, you know, in... Isaiah 53 verses four and five, it says, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace 
was upon him and by his wounds, we are healed. That was even almost 900 years before Jesus walked on the earth. Yeah. You know what it says, Jill, it says that we are valuable to God, that we are saved by grace through faith as a gift. And we can show up to the table. We can bring the story because he is the ultimate redeemer of all narratives. And his desire isn't for us to hide our experiences. It's not. It's why we we were created for community so that we could come together. We could say, man, this is kind of the journey I've been on. Here's what God did. And, and what God did in your life is an encouragement to me because I have, I have certainly dealt with my own level of shame. I, I, I'm going to tell you a story and, and, um, about shame. And I know it, it may seem off, but at Thanksgiving, I wanted to order a gift for my daughter. And very quickly I got online and I ordered something only to learn that I had ordered from a bogus website and I was sick. I was literally sick in my gut about having been taken, not, not, um, I shamed myself. Like, I mean, like where I couldn't sleep this first night, knowing that I had already sent this money, a significant amount of money to a, a false to get a false product, to not even get what I thought I was getting. And I was literally so embarrassed I couldn't sleep. And I felt like who I was was shattered in the moment of of one decision. I felt like I should have been better than that. I felt like I should have known. And one mistake, Jill, one mistake, just one. That was, that's, those are minor things, right? No one could see my mistake and you wouldn't know unless I had told you because my inclination was to not let anyone know how stupid I had been, to not let anyone know how I had failed so miserably. Goodness, the man with the withered hand had a constant visual. So sometimes our shame is inward and people can't see and sometimes it's outward and they can, but nonetheless, shame attempts to rob us of our peace and, and it doesn't have to. And, and that's the beauty of all of this that, that we've seen through all of this is it doesn't have to rob us. It doesn't get to have that power, but it, it, it calls us, doesn't it? Shame calls us constantly. And I think it's another reason why we need to be at the table where I can say, this is where I'm struggling and you can speak into that. That's it. And it's not always having to, um, you know, when we say that Jesus, you know, allows us to take that, gave us that beautiful gift of grace in order to take Mm -hmm. all of that from us by his his acts, um, not only when in his, in his mission, but on the cross and walking out of the tomb three days later, and then still spending time, um, with the disciples. But it's also too about, you know, and he calls us to share and he calls us to community and, you know, not everybody is called to a public platform and community the way, you know, we are. And, you know, that's, that's fine. However you are being called Mm. the way that God wants to use your story. 
and to use your testimony. And like you said, it may just be walking alongside somebody who says, I know I've not, not so much I've been there, but let me share my experiences with this also. Yeah. And when we can step out of the shadow of shame, when we can step out of the shadow of the periphery and right. back into the lights of the mm. Lord, mm. it's when we can begin and can or continue to live in the way that we've been called to live as followers. Yeah. Mm. So true. So good. I was listening. Uh, I was listening to a conference and, and someone said that very often trauma hap- happens within the context of, of intimate relationship. And so healing the, the counter to that is healing also happens within the context of intimate relationships. And I think we see that in, in this story that he had to go into the place where he could be in relationship because he had been out, out outcast really kind of on the outskirts, this yeah. man, and he had to come into that space and which would be the context of intimate relationship. If I'm standing there and Jesus is talking to me, that's the context of intimate relationship. And, you know, his wounding happened in the context of relationship too. And in community, because if he was truly a Mason, uh, then, then he had other people that he was working with. And, and I think that's the, the beauty of this is that our, our shames need to be, yes, brought into the light. Yes. Now everyone isn't a good place for that necessarily, but within the context of intimate relationship, we have healing. And then, yeah, we, we have this, we have this call, right? We have this go, Mm -hmm. we have this go to then live as restored people. Have you ever met someone who, um, like my son had broken his arm many, many years ago and we got, when he got his cast off, he was afraid to use the arm. Yes. And he was young. And so it wasn't like he was really consciously thinking about it. it was an unconscious decision to not use that arm as he normally would. And, and I think, don't you think this is true, Jill? Sometimes when we've been wounded and healed, we still function as if we're wounded mm. and, and we don't walk into the fullness of living as though we've been healed because we're afraid. And, and so to be restored, to be truly restored, this guy was completely restored, which means he got his job back, which means he was now a contributing member of his community, which means his hope had been, had been restored, fully restored, not maybe restored, not partially restored, not restored in a few years. It says he was completely, completely restored. And I think the reality is for us to be restored, we have to start with surrender. Yes. So true. And that's difficult, right? Because surrendering means vulnerability. <laughs> Ooh, there's that word again. <laughs> there's that word again. And, but I think we have to surrender first. We have to surrender control. We have to surrender how we have to surrender the outcome. Mm-hmm. We have to believe God enough to surrender the outcome so that we can begin the process of walking as those who are fully restored. And that may mean sometimes, right? Like we've got to do some hard things as we, as we have been restored, we have to like ask someone for forgiveness. Yeah, We have yeah. to forgive someone. We might have to sign up for counseling. 
So important. Yes. Right. There are things that the steps that we will have to take to be a cooperative partner in, in the complete restoration. Now, Jesus had completely restored us. We just have to accept it, but then we have to walk in it, right? That's, you mentioned earlier, your sanctification process. And, 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 and we have to do that. We have to surrender in order to be a part of the process of becoming the better version of who we are day by day. And that's hard. It is, it is. And the other thing that's important is that whether you have to forgive, ask forgiveness, seek counseling, do not allow that shame in because there is nothing shameful about that. There is beauty and grace and that godly agape love that is within that. And there is nothing within any of those that says, oh, yes. Oh, you're, oh, no, you, sh- you, sh- you should not allow other people to put that shame on you or allow you to hear that voice of the enemy, which, as you said earlier, disguises itself as our own voice. Agreed. Tell us to be ashamed of any of those things because there's power in that, right? A mentor once told me, she said, really, you would be, you know, further along in your healing. And that wasn't a a slam. Uh, It was from her heart. She said, if you would stop shooting on yourself, Mm -hmm. I should do this. I should not have done that. I should this. And and I thought that's the weight of shame right there. That's the weight of shame. It is. And we've been freed from that. That's it. We just have to surrender it, like you said, Mm -hmm. which I think is our great go for this month. Yeah. Um, You know, for whoever is watching and listening is how can you surrender that shame you've been carrying? How can you surrender in the grace and love that Jesus showed for us so that you can then pull up a seat around our table and join our community. Because we want nothing more than for you to be able to do that. We want nothing more than for you to feel like this is such a safe place that you can surrender your shame and Mm -hmm. sit with us. And not that you have to do that prior, You could even do it while you're sitting at the table, but let's have that space and let's create that environment where that it's safe in order to do that. Mm, So good. Okay. So that's what we'll ponder. We'll ponder how in the world can we surrender thinking about what things are keeping us from surrendering. And it's not for, for many, it wasn't a one and done thing, right? Jill, you said you had years of walking yeah, just feel like you belonged in certain arenas. And there's still days where I feel it. And there's mm-hmm. still times, especially when, you know, as we said during our initial, um, our very first episode is that, you know, we've both been told, I'm sorry, there's no room for you at this table. And that itself mm-hmm. brings its 
So like, oh, am I not enough? Oh, they didn't want me there. Oh my goodness, I'm not good enough. And the shame that then comes from that, you know, oh, I can't quote scripture that well. You know, maybe they just don't want me there. I'm not good enough. I'm not a quote unquote good enough Christian. And that alone brings its own shame. So it's it's this constant weapon that the enemy uses against us. Like yeah. you said, is 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 internal, but we have to constantly fight that and constantly surrender it and re-surrender it and re-surrender mm-hmm. it. It's 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 a cycle. I mean, it it certainly is. And so let's keep this image in in the front of our mind that Christ calls us to the center with the mess. Yes. With the shame, with the injury. He calls us into the center says, come right here. And, and so we, we have an obedient response and, and that's what surrender is going to look like for us. And, and let's just keep that. Let's keep that image. Um, because only a radical savior can offer radical healing. Yes. And that's the only thing he asks us to is to come to him with open hands. Yeah. And that really is what he showed in those verses that you were reading is that just open your hand to me and I will restore you. Mm, completely restore you. Yes. Thank you for that. Completely restore so you. So good. Um, well, thanks guys for being here around the table with us and, and sharing in this conversation. We certainly hope that you feel nourished and that you feel uh, empowered to implement the go and yes. to look for ways to surrender shame. Yeah. All right. As always, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode or a chance to pull up a seat and join our table. Thanks for joining us. God bless. Thank you so much for joining us today at Table Talk, a place to gather, guide, and go. We were so happy to have you pull up a seat at our table. We hope that you got something from this conversation today or that you know someone who that you could share this episode with who might need to hear this message. As always, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review so that you never miss an episode of Table Talk. And we look forward to having you join us again next month. And until then, may God bless you and continue to keep you safe.